This morning from the prophet Micah in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Last week, I told you a little bit about this nano Bible, where some scientists were working on compressing as much information as they could into a very small space. And they had selected the Hebrew scriptures as what they would use to see if they could all get it all into this small space. They said it was 1.2 million letters or characters that they were able to squeeze into a space the size of the head of a pen. We like to shrink things down. We like to boil them down. The two passages you chose as your favorite last week, Luke 10, 27, about loving God and loving your neighbor, and then this one from Micah, are very brief statements of faith. This passage, just like the one last week, is a summary of faith. It encapsulates very much and into a very small space. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He lists just three things there, but there's a lot in those three. As I was mulling all of that over this week, trying to decide how we could grapple with this in our time together, I began to think of Three other things, ones that John Wesley wrote. He wrote these things we call the general rules. If you've had confirmation recently or maybe been a Methodist throughout your life, you've heard of these general rules. You know, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, we consider the founder of Methodism and so founder of our church, began to have people come to him seeking spiritual advice and guidance. He began to gather them into groups, but more and more were coming So finally he decided he needed to write this up. The general rules as we know them had a longer title. He called it the nature, design, and general rules of our united societies. These societies or groups of people that were coming together. He put three things down as the general rules. Do no harm, do good, and attend to the ordinances of God. The general rules are these three. I put them in your outline. Do no harm, to do good, and to attend to the ordinances of God. Or we would probably say more commonly the spiritual practices of God. What Wesley was talking about were things like prayer and Bible reading, worship, participating in Holy Communion, those spiritual practices that we know draw us closer to God. But as I was reading over Micah, I began to think of those three from Wesley And I thought, I think there's some remarkable parallels here. See what you think. I thought we could match them up like this. Walk humbly with your God and attend to the spiritual practices. To love kindness and to do good. To do justice and to do no harm. I think those were very similar. As part of our United Methodist heritage, 
you have probably already heard of them. I thought maybe we chose this as our favorite, partly because maybe even subconsciously we made that connection that these three are really important in terms of how we live our faith. Maybe these three things we should be using as a guide to our Christian life and practice. Let's delve into each of the three for a few moments and see if, in fact, this might work for us, might help us in our Christian walk. The first one, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. To do justice. We don't talk about justice so much in the church, but certainly it's part of the biblical witness. But it seems more complicated than some other things because typically it has to do with trying to fix systems that are broken. When we see that the way a society is structured or a system is built, and if it's not fair to everyone, if it harms some people, then justice says we should fix that. It should be fair to everyone. But once we begin to get into that kind of thing, it gets so complex and so complicated and so frustrating so often that we kind of leave that to someone else. And we do not talk about it so very much. The distinction is made between charity and justice. In much of the writing, the theologians and pastors and scholars do, they separate these two ideas. Charity being more how we give when someone's in need, how we help someone, we give charitably. But justice has more to do with looking at why they are in need in the first place. Why do they need help? And if we see that there's a problem with the system where they were disadvantaged or the way that we are structured is harming them, to do justice is to try to fix that. Our book of discipline, the United Methodist book of discipline, is our guidebook, the way we function as a church. It's full of all kinds of different ideas and directives in terms of how we should organize ourselves. It also has the three general rules in there and other things. But there's also this theological statement on justice. I want to read you a few sentences to help us grasp this idea. The rights and privileges a society bestows upon or withholds from those who comprise it indicate the relative esteem in which that society holds particular persons and groups of persons. We affirm all persons as equally valuable in the sight of God. We therefore work towards societies in which each person's value is recognized, maintained, and strengthened. We support the basic rights of all persons to equal access to housing, education, communication, employment, medical care, legal redress for grievances, and physical protection. We deplore acts of hate or violence against groups or persons based on race, color, national origin, ethnicity, age, gender, disability, status, economic conditions, sexual orientation, gender identity, or religious affiliation. Can you hear that? It's not talking about charitable acts, but it's talking about justice and justice for all, protection for all people. We don't want anyone to be the victim of violence. We want to protect everyone. We want everyone to have access to education and health care. It's talking about the system's that a society is structured around and whether or not they're just or fair to everyone. 
As one commentator put it, to do justice as God does justice is to intervene in the social order as did Moses in Pharaoh's court when he insisted on the freedom for the Hebrew slaves. As did Nathan in David's court when he protested the king's rapacious action against Uriah the Hittite. As did Elijah when he thundered against Ahab and Jezebel for having done in Namath in order to take his land. To do justice is to work for a system, a society in which it is not sanctioned as fair or just to do harm to another. To do justice. But so many people in my experience who want to do justice forget the second thing Micah said. So many people I see who want to do justice feel free to do anything in their protest, whether it's blowing up a building or interrupting a meeting or attacking someone else personally. They want to do justice, but they forget the second part, to love kindness. Micah says, oh yes, God's calling us to do justice, but also to love kindness. There's a story from the annals of early Christianity when Christians, in the first few hundred years after Christ, began to live together in communities. And often, part of their practice was a rule of life by which they had to abide. And they would hold each other accountable. There's a story that in one of these communities, one of the brothers had broken the rule, and the other brothers had kind of gotten all fired up about it and called everyone together. They wanted to judge him and put him in his place. But they needed the abbot there, their leader, to come and make the ruling. Everybody gathered and waited and he was not there. Finally, somebody went to find him and said, everyone in the community is gathered. We need you to come. They could tell he was reluctant, but they begged him to come. Finally, he got up and found a leaky water jug, filled it with water, and began walking toward the gathering, all the while holding the water jug with water leaking out behind him. The brothers see him coming with the water pouring out behind him. They come out to say, what is going on, Father? And the old man said, my sins leak out behind me and I do not see them. And yet you want me to come and judge the error of another. The story says that as that sank in, all the brothers began to disperse with more forgiving hearts than before. What is it to do justice and to love kindness? Philip Gulley is a pastor tells the story of one of his friends he said he had this opportunity to buy this house it was a beautiful house but almost too good to be true it's such a great price he thought maybe there's something wrong with it so he sent some people to inspect it 
Structural inspections came back fine. The material inspections came back fine. He and his wife purchased the house and moved in. They were very pleased because it was such a beautiful house. But then as they began to meet the neighbors, the story began to come out. But the neighbor on their right and the neighbor on their left were in a vicious feud that had lasted for years. And that's why the other people had left. They said these two guys were terrible. They were arguing all the time. Fights would break out. They'd both armed themselves. Often the police were called into the neighborhood to break it up. Finally, restraining orders were put in place. And yet he had already bought the house. He said within just a few days, one of the neighbors came over and began to talk to him, introduced himself, seemed to be a friendly guy. But before the conversation was over, Begin to tell him how bad the other fellow was. Tried to recruit him to be on his side. Gully's friend said, oh, oh no, I'm planning to get along with all my neighbors. The man interpreted it as, well, if you're not on my side, I guess you're going to be on his side. And he got angry at him. A couple of days passed. The other neighbor came over. Guess what happened? At first, he was very friendly as well. But again, before this very first conversation was over, he's telling him how bad the other neighbor is. He's recruiting him to be on his side. The fellow says, oh no, I'm going to get along with all my neighbors. This guy interpreted that as, oh, he's choosing the other side. He's against me. He left angry as well. Now he's living between these two fellows who are feuding, and they're both mad at him. But he said he was determined to continue to live out his life as a man of peace. And that he was going to show love and respect to both of them and their families despite whatever happened. And so he continued to live a steady demeanor of kindness and offered each of them respect and love whenever he encountered them. He and his wife realized that both families had children, so they began to interact with the children Finally got to know them and even we were able to achieve a experience where the kids from both households were at their house playing together happily without hostility or anger. They thought it a major accomplishment. Yet it didn't seem to impact these two fellows who were feuding. They didn't have any signs of getting along. No detectable difference in the way they treated each other. Until one evening, the man in the middle was looking out his window, and the children were out there playing, and he realized the fathers were on either side watching the kids from their own yard. But then here they came moving toward each other. He thought maybe they were going to have words again, but in fact, it appeared they had a civil conversation. Then one of them put out his hand, then the other one put out his hand, and they actually shook hands smiled at one another and went home with their kids that evening without any kind of dispute or fight or conflict. Reconciliation was actually taking place. The man in the middle reported that within a few weeks, the restraining orders were forgotten. And in fact, all three families got together and had a cookout without a fight was remarkable but gully says we should notice 
that these families didn't come together because they were bludgeoned by some kind of overwhelming force. No. It was rather a persistent love that as water erodes a stone, drip by drip wore down the hard hate of others. To love kindness is to do good for another. And then this last one, the third thing that Micah mentions, he says we should walk humbly with our God. We should walk humbly with our God. Dr. Roberta Bondi is Professor Emeritus at our Candler School of Theology, Atlanta, Georgia. She's written extensively about early Christians and early Christians' communities and what they thought about their discipleship and what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. She says this idea of humility was right at the middle, right at the core of what they thought their Christian life was all about. I want to read you a few lines from what she has written. She says, As they understood it, an ability to love is the very goal of the Christian life. And if love is its goal, humility, humility is the way to it. She defines humility further from their perspective when she writes, humility did not mean for them a continuous cringing, cultivating a low self-image, and taking a perverse pleasure in being taken for granted. Instead, Humility meant to them a way of seeing other people as being as valuable in God's eyes as ourselves. Seeing other people as being as valuable in God's eyes as ourselves. She says for them it was a relational term having to do precisely with learning to Value others, whoever they are. Humility, walking humbly with your God. Micah is railing against the leaders of his time, the proud and the powerful. He's crying out for them to pay attention to the common people. He says they use the name of the Lord, but they do not act as God wants them to act because they're only acting in their own self-interest. They're not thinking about the broader society or the common people. And Micah wants them to change their ways. And he says the remedy for them is that they need to walk humbly with their God. Or John Wesley might say they need to attend to the spiritual practices that God has taught us. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice? To love kindness? And to walk humbly with your God? Our closing hymn this morning is entitled, Here I Am, Lord. You voted it your second favorite. Twenty years ago, this hymn was not even on the list. This year was your second favorite it talks about how great god is and the work that god is doing in our midst but it also talks about god calling us and how we might respond 
But here I am, Lord, saying, I'm ready to go. If you'll lead me, I'm ready to go. In the old-time revivals, they always ended with an altar call. They wanted people to make decisions for Christ, either for the first time or at least to rededicate their lives. As we wrap up July Revival for us, I want us to think about that as we sing this final hymn. You might even want to come to the altar rail and pray if there's a burden on your heart, if you're feeling God leading you to take a new step in faith, maybe even calling you into ministry, come forward and pray. Reverend Campbell and I will go. I've asked some of the other ministers to come to the altar rail. If you need someone to pray with you, just let one of us know. But while we sing, feel free to come and have a brief prayer at the altar before we finish our service. Let us sing, Here I Am.